the moment I put the moment I wanted to remove it and I put the uh, the clamp or you know the the coagulation device that we used on the artery, the blood pressure rose to three hundred. <gasps> I know, and it was just it was such a you know the body is an amazing thing, but we know those fios can can have major hypertension and and we pretreated the dogs, but obviously it was not enough. Sorry for saying sorry. Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Little. And Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, and this is the Per Podcast. Yeah, that was a perky opening, huh? I know it's a very perky opening <laughs> because we are two very perky people. And this is uh, so we wanted to do this one for the 100th yes. per podcast, but we didn't. Yes. No. I know the, the, the pandemic has really gotten in the way, right? Like, I know we had such great idea for the 100th episode. We would go abroad where we started yeah. and we would have a great old time and yeah. uh, sip gin tonics yeah. and celebrate. And it's just, it, you know, I think it is amazing that we are at number 100. I mean, I it's, it's, if you think about it, it, this is number 103 or whatever it is, but, um, when we started this thing yeah. in Brazil, I don't know how many years ago, three <laughs> years ago, I would have never thought that we would have 100 podcasts. Dr. Yeah, Susan. I know. And we're not done talking yet. No. Congratulations, <laughs> by the way. Yes. We should pat ourselves on the back. Yes. I'm we'll doing just, that right now. Well, yes. Pat, pat, pat. Um, and we'll, we'll have kind of a fake 100th anniversary celebration we'll just pretend it's the 100th episode I, I think that's an excellent idea this yeah. is number 100 congratulations everybody yes. to all our listeners our dear listeners thank yes. you so much for all your support we could not have done it without you and we want to celebrate the 100th <laughs> episodes yes. uh, together with you and this is a special episode between me and or dr susan and me uh, let's say Dr. Susan first. Uh, and so this is going to be very, very special. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's amazing. 100. It's crazy. Yep, I know. But it just shows you um, how much there is to talk about. And it's also a, um, a testament to how generous our colleagues are to give up their time right to yes to listen to sit and talk with us yes to listen yeah. especially in this dire time so yeah it, it's very very much appreciated and i think we're almost at 100,000 downloads too it's Oof. just crazy now that number amazes me yeah it's pretty good it is crazy yeah yeah, yeah. so so thank everybody thank you thank you thank you yes. for being online with us and listen to our chatter um <laughs> and and it also it's surprising that we only talked about the tip of the iceberg we haven't talked about all the stuff oh. that's still underwater <laughs> and there's a lot and there's a lot i know i know so the the topic of today is relatively hot news dr susan a yes a little bit yeah so i uh, thought that 
we would talk about hypertension today in cats. Hypertension, hypertension. in the cats. Yeah. And, and, and so this is a great topic for the 100th episode the because 100th it's, episode, yeah. it's very new. Uh, not that hypertension is new, no. but, but the information that's out that's really new because the AAFP has done something. Yeah, so um, very recently, well, let, let me just backtrack a bit. It's um, the AFP has started to put together educational toolkits um, for the, that accompany guidelines, and they are great. Um, so they, within the last week or so, released an educational toolkit on <clears throat> hypertension in, in cats, yeah. um, and that's what provoked um, my interest in, in talking about hypertension in cats today. And that's so cool. So, so you know, we love AFP and all the things that they do. Uh, and they have so many yeah. really good educational materials. Um, I also want to talk and remind me of that about the uh, cat-friendly veterinarian, cat-friendly practice, cat-friendly... Oh. There's like four different things that you yeah. can do. There's a course that they have. So let's talk about that. You know what? I we, am... should, we should ask somebody from AFP to come on and talk with us about that. Yeah. So I'm yeah. doing the course, but you oh, know, you are. I am. I am because I want to be a cat friendly veterinarian oh. and I've done some of the modules already, but as you know, I'm really, really busy <laughs> and, and I, I put it off all the time. So I think I have to, until April to finish it. Okay. Yeah. Well. So. You can fill us in on your experiences. I know. So we'll talk about that at the end of the show. But first, we're going to talk about hypertension mm -hmm. in general and uh, AFP hypertension is specific. So, um, and you were president of AFP before. Mm -hmm. So you time. know how these things go. So you can give a background. Well, you mean on how the guidelines and these yeah. things get developed? Yeah. <laughs> I think we talked about guidelines developments one with somebody recently um it was i don't know if it was, was that Sarah? recently it was either kelly or yeah or maybe uh, serge and the ckd guidelines maybe I can't yeah remember. Maybe, no no or mm. margie one of the two we talked about it A yeah. Little bit. yeah 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 so they're um, and uh, there, so it's a, a, a panel of experts that gets put together by the sponsoring organization. In this case, it's the American Association of Feline Practitioners uh, uh, and our sister organization, the International Society of Feline Medicine. Yeah. Uh, so for these guidelines, ISFM put out the hypertension guidelines for cats in 2017 i think yeah uh, and uh just recently aafp released uh the toolkit to go along with it and one of the things i'm seeing with guidelines as they get released now is that they often have the word consensus in the title and i like that mm -hmm. yeah the the isfm hypertension guidelines are called consensus guidelines on diagnosis and management of hypertension. And I think that conveys what it is because it's a group of people getting together and trying to come to a consensus on various aspects of a disease, right? So I, I think hopefully what it conveys to veterinarians who are seeing patients 
is that this is not like the law. It didn't come down from on high in stone tablets. (laughs) (laughs) It's, you know, a set of expert opinions. Yes. Liberally backed up by uh, scientific data where it's available. So yes. And it's good that you say that because consensus, the definition of consensus is always interesting because you can consent to something, but you don't have to agree. Mm -hmm. So it is multiple people consenting to this statement or these guidelines, but you don't have to agree with everything that's consented to. Yeah, that's very true. And, and I've even seen some guidelines, especially the ones that come from ACVIM. So the internal medicine um, organization, where they'll actually say like six of eight panel members agreed on this, you know, and two didn't and here's why. So it's very transparent when it's done that way. And and I really like that. I, I think it's really good to to be transparent like that way. I, I, I also think that if you want to write guidelines and you put 10 different people in a room, it is so difficult to get everybody to say yes to something. So then you will never have guidelines, as a matter of fact. So if you want uh, 100% uh, consent, it's probably not, not, it's not consent. 100% approval of what is said, it's very, very difficult. So, uh, and, and are those guidelines then set by the majority or how does that go? Yeah, so I guess it depends on the, uh, the panel itself and how they agree. So I, I think that's one of the key things in putting expert panels together. If you're going to produce guidelines, you need to agree at the beginning what is our mechanism for deciding on like what we're going to recommend, right? Would it be just majority? Um, do you want to do what ACVIM does and, you know, actually count the number of people? So that would be specific. And, it should be specific to each guidelines group. And you is, probably have been on these guideline groups. So do you have experience in uh-huh. who, what that decision is or? I'm still scarred. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're a sucker a you're a sucker for guidelines yeah i've been on a number of them you know and i usually say yes when i'm invited because i do think they are important they're kind of like a state of the art yeah you know statement that veterinarians can refer to so i do think they're useful in clinical practice and some are easier to come to a consensus and develop and others are harder so um yeah, so I've been on some that have gone very easy and some that have go harder. And the ones that go harder is not because we have people on the panel that are just being stubborn or they don't get along. Mm-hmm. It's often because there's just a lack of evidence. Yes. You know, and so people then have to fall back on their own experience. Yes. And for many things that, that we work with in feline medicine, the experience of somebody, let's say, in... Uh, oh, I don't know, in, in France might be quite different from the type of patient and the, and the experience that we would see in Canada or the US. So it's natural. Yeah, and that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and, you know, probably consensus guidelines are, if you look at the scientific pyramid, where you have these 
multi double randomized mm. blinded studies on the top mm. this is probably way on the bottom somewhere just above case reports and and expert opinion so it's not that these guidelines are like you said set in stone forever and ever yeah. these are opinions of nine people that put in this that are put in the same room that talk about it that look at the evidence and say hey indeed in in these 10 things that we look at, one is very clear because all the evidence says 100% and there is a 10 to zero vote on, yes, that's the way it is. And then you have number 10 that nobody agrees on and it's a five to four or five to six to four or a narrow margin where people say, hey, you know, we really don't know. And there might be even some things that people say, we have no clue. Yeah, at the way I look at it is these expert panels save me the work, you know, as a practitioner, they they save me the work of going out and reading all the literature and, you know, trying to weed out the good studies from the bad studies. So that's essentially what this is, right? <laughs> it's, it's just a service, really, where yes. people who yes. hopefully have expertise in this area yes. they do the literature review for you That's <laughs> the lazy dr susan or the lazy part of dr susan yeah. because dr susan is not lazy at all <laughs> the lazy part of dr susan keep on giving me those guidelines yes <laughs> i'm always thrilled when new guidelines come out i'm like oh thank goodness yeah <laughs> yeah so let's talk about the hype Hypertension. Yeah. I love that word. It's yeah. it's a really good word. Hypertension. Let's let's talk a little bit about. Is it common in cats, Doctor Susan? I think that's a really good question, and and it's very much on my mind right now because okay. I'm in the middle of editing the second edition of my textbook, The Cat, the and I've cat. just uh, I'm just getting near the end of editing the section on chronic kidney disease yeah. and we often see hypertension in chronic kidney disease cats and so of course a literature review was done for that chapter and I, I looking at the literature review I'm going to tell you that I think we we really have no idea <laughs> mm. we have no idea how how common it is or how common it is in cats with chronic kidney disease yeah, so we, we know enough to say you should look for it. Yeah. I'm not confident to put a number on it or a percent, percentage on it. Yeah, so there are certain conditions, I bet, heart yeah. disease, kidney disease, there are certain conditions that you can name that it probably is a much higher risk for hypertension than other diseases or normal cats. Um, and then we always, because I remember that we had this discussion before too, that it is, how do you measure hypertension? You know, yeah. if you have a cat that's bouncing off the walls uh, and you want to measure the blood pressure, it's, it's quite tough. So, so hopefully the toolkit will help us with that. So that's why I'm excited. Well, good. Cause it's not a surgical disease. So I always, uh, <laughs> get worried that Yola will be less excited about non-surgical diseases. But. You know, the good thing about hypertension is the blood flows. It does. It does. <laughs> and it's relevant to a surgeon during surgery, right? You, I know. Yeah. I know. I did, 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 I, when I think about hypertension, this is just the little story is, and this was not um, one of my, our feline friends. This was one of our D friends that had a pheochromocytoma mm. and I was trying to remove the tumor laparoscopically Oof. 
and so that was already tough and it went really really well and it was a bulldog it was really really tough and the moment i put the moment i wanted to remove it and i put the uh, the clamp or you know the the coagulation device that we used on the artery the blood pressure rose to 300 <gasps> i know and it was just it was such a you know the body is an amazing thing but we know those fios can can have major hypertension and and we pre-treated the dogs but obviously it was not enough uh, but uh, oh gosh i still remember it as the day of yesterday and then you know we I'm couldn't sure get it down blood pressure was, went yeah, way up too my you know? blood pressure went <laughs> Up the wazoo. Yours was probably 300. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, let's talk about the toolkit. Yeah, but so, but it, it does bring up the issue that um, you, we really should be thinking of hypertension in in cats and in the D word too, yeah. um, as idiopathic or secondary. And so in cats, there is a bunch of secondary conditions that we know that, you know, if you diagnose this condition, you should be checking blood pressure. And we already mentioned kidney disease. That's probably top of the list. I said heart disease too. Yeah, you said heart disease. Interestingly enough, in cats, doesn't seem to be a thing. Really? Yeah, doesn't seem to be a thing. It's not so a risk factor in cats. Both with hypertrophic and uh, because they get mainly hypertrophic uh, cardiomyopathy. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. obviously there, there's probably some cats that get that, yeah. that get the congestive or dilative yeah. uh, cardiomyopathy. Different, and I'm surprised that they don't get hypertension. No, no, it's not. A, well, it, let's just say it's not a known risk factor. Okay. And we usually do measure uh, blood pressure on a I, I would never say all of our hypertrophic cardiomyopathy patients because you you know you never get 100%, but it's it's exceedingly rare, so it just doesn't seem to be a risk factor. Hyperthyroidism is though. Yes, yeah. I could have guessed that. So right. I wanted to say either hypothyroidism or maybe diabetes. Diabetes is on the list. There is some small, like it's down. It depends on the study you look at. So again, we only have a couple of studies in the literature. And what's really frustrating for me as uh, somebody who works on guidelines or a textbook is that let's say you have two studies, mm -hmm. right? And one study says no cats with diabetes get hypertension. And the other study says 20% do. Yeah. <laughs> so then you're like, okay, I think the answer is we don't know. Yes. <laughs> the answer. So diabetes yes, is a little bit like that. It's not um, doesn't have a strong statistical link, but it's on the list. It's on the mm. list. And then there's a bunch of endocrine things. So you mentioned pheochromocytoma. Yes. So, you know, that's rare in cats too, but it's on the list. Yes. And there's one more that I would put above diabetes. I probably put it number three in the list for cats. So, so we have uh, renal disease, renal, we had hypothyroidism, and this is the third one. Yeah, then. this is one that I would put number three as a condition associated with hypertension. Let me think, let me yeah. think, let me think. Let me think. Because I obviously it's, didn't it's read the toolkit. It's often a surgical disease. Uh, obesity? No, that's not a surgical disease. It is a surgical disease. <laughs> no. Okay, I give up. You give up, that was really easy. Um, hyperaldosteronism. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, let's let's talk about zebras now. 
No, like I think it's underestimated. We don't look for it in cats. You know, I have a big picture of zebras. You can see it, my yes. dear audience, because you are listening to it. But I have a yes. big picture of zebras. And when I talk about zebras, I mean, normally when you go to the forest, you see deer and you see, you know, all sorts of wildlife. And this is so common that you see a zebra in your backyard. Yeah. Uh, is probably hyper Eldrin. I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> yeah. So it. I'm How often does it occur? We don't know. See, another one of those questions. So, so that's why I don't like internal medicine, you know? Yeah, but that's the state of feline medicine, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those hyperaldosteronism is one of those diseases, I think, that we, we don't diagnose very often in cats. I've seen I a cat with a tumor that had it. Yeah, yeah. So that like the the most common reason would be a cat with an adrenal tumor. So I've yeah, seen I yeah, I took of one it. out. Yeah, mm. so that was that's cool. why I said it's a surgical disease, right? Because if it's an adrenal, right, especially if it's a unilateral adrenal. So tumor. okay, but let's put this now a little bit in perspective because yeah. you, you got me riled up now. I do. You said renal disease. Okay, that's about a hundred percent of the cats when they're older than twelve have renal yeah. disease. Then you said hyperthyroidism. Yeah. Okay, 50% of the cats that are older than 16 <laughs> get hyperthyroidism. And then the third one, I was like, okay, there needs to be something big. And I was thinking diabetes, yeah. obesity, or whatever. She comes with this, you know, yeah. we see them once every 100 million cat. No, 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 no. So it, it's a distant <laughs> third. I give you that. But oh. it is, yeah. But it is, uh, but it is. I think number three on the list, at least in North <laughs> number three. And with, uh, yeah. and this is number three. Number coming three. From, yes, a distant excellent. Third. Yeah. Yes. But it's, yes. it's worth mentioning because the hallmark um, in cats would be a cat that has hypertension that you can't control. Ah. Yeah. That's that's what should twig your mind. Give it away. So all yeah. the others you can control. Yeah. Usually you can with renal yeah. disease and with hyperthyroidism yeah. because hyperthyroidism is difficult because that can cause renal disease on its own. So you don't know which one of the two is really causing the yeah. Yeah. blood pressure. Sure, sure. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, there's there those diseases are all kind of tangled up together. So some cats with hyperthyroidism um, have secondary hypertension. And as soon as you get thyroid hormone level under control, then they're not hypertensive anymore. Um, some stay yes. hypertensive, probably, as you said, because they've got also have chronic kidney disease, right? So, yes. Yeah. And, so this is why I used I to like do surgery on those. I love that surgery, but it's, we don't do them anymore. If you yeah. have radiation, at least yes. there's a lot of countries still that don't have radiation. For, this is true. Yep. And so then you still do surgery. But I love that surgery. It's so it, it's such a beautiful surgery to do. It's so. a very nice surgery. Yeah. yeah, you have to save the parathyroids. That's the. It's yes. not that easy. People think it's really easy to take them out, but not they're so not. Yeah. And and so uh, you have. Um, and cats are amazing animals. Even if you take both parathyroids out, you still can save them with good management. But I mean, it's yeah. just in a dog, it's a problem. But uh, in cats, yeah. So. Yeah. Amazing animals. Yep. Yeah. So those are the common concurrent diseases. And, you know, again, we're, we're talking about this because AAFP released their toolkit. And when you, we'll, we'll put the link in our show notes, yes. but you go to catvets.com 
and yes. you look just look for the section on um, educational toolkits it's free you don't have to be an afp member yeah and so in the hypertension section essentially what they are is like summaries so there's a summary of how blood pressure is regulated there's a summary on how blood pressure is classified a summary on the clinical signs so they're they're kind of like um cheat sheets right or little well yeah. summaries really yeah. of each facet of a disease so it's kind of a quick reference which which i love yeah mm. yeah so what about the idiopathic one i yeah. mean that's kind of weird because then you don't have an underlying disease really causing it so what yeah. does it cause yeah and they may uh, actually account for a big chunk i would say the idiopathics and the chronic kidney disease account for the majority of our hyperthyroid sorry of our hypertensive patients and I'm happy you're saying is, that and not the ultra yeah and then the rest is from like producing tumors of a of a hyperthyroidism the the uh, endocrine tumors yeah it's a mixed bag for the rest so um so idiopathic you can only say it's idiopathic of course when you've ruled out everything else because it's yeah. a diagnosis of exclusion right it really tells us that we don't know why it's yeah. caused or how it's caused but you know in people um people get uh, what's called, well, I might not be up to date on current terminology, but it classically was called essential hypertension, hmm. which is just hypertension with aging. Like a lot of people get hypertensive. Probably hmm. a lot of people listening to this podcast know somebody, right, who developed hypertension um, over the age of 60. And hmm. it's it's an aging change. You're, you're the, the walls of your blood vessels just get stiffer and less compliant yeah, yeah. i so can a see a lot that. of us are headed sense. for hypertension drugs yes yes <laughs> yeah. of course of course but is there are there young people with idiopathic or essential oh, hypertension i don't know because there might be there might be also some genetic abnormalities that Could cause be. hypertension but what I about bet, cats yeah but i bet the cats that we would classify as idiopathic I bet you, I bet you a chunk of those are aging, probably some of the similar things that happen to people, right? So, so if you have a young cat with hypertension, yeah, what that's would rare. be the number one reason? Because renal disease is older cats, yeah. hyperthyroidism is older cats. Yeah. Uh, so there's They're really not middle aged and old cat diseases. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe yeah. tumor again, you know, tumors can happen in any, any age. It's rare, but. Yeah. I wonder if there's a tumor that, uh, do they say anything about that in the toolkit? If you have a young cat with hyperthyroidism? No, because it, it's that rare. It's so mm. rare. Mm. Yeah. Almost hey, we, we are at 25 minutes. So I think <gasps> this, this is great for we the are. first, but there's still a lot of things that we have to talk yes. about, but that will be next week in okay. our 100th <laughs> podcast, because this is just, <laughs> we're, we're not counting this podcast and, right. and what people can do because we are, it's our birthday, obviously, 100. Uh, what they can do is uh, celebrate with us by uh, not sending us money. We don't need your money uh, because this is all free. But if you can go to the App Store and give us a five-star rating, oh, that would be such a nice yes. birthday present, don't you think? That's a lovely um, birthday present because when you give us a good rating and if you even go one step further and leave a good review, that helps other people find us too yes a 100th birthday review and yeah. it's you know and maybe <laughs> congratulations or something like that that would be so awesome we look pretty good for 100 i would say we're looking yeah we good. do look very good for 100 but That's together we're probably 100 
or my maybe pan- not. My pandemic hair is not aging well, I <laughs> yes, have to say. Yes. So, Dr. Susan, thank you so much for Yay! this great episode. I'm looking forward to next week already when yeah. we will still be talking about <laughs> hypertension yeah. in cats. We'll have to stuff yeah. in the rest, like the signs and the treatment, and we'll have to stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we have to speed up a little bit here, yeah. I'm, I'm afraid, because we, we were will. chatting away and we're, we, we only started about, we only have talked about idiopathic versus yeah. secondary <laughs> hypertension and all the we'll rest get there. maybe we should do like five podcasts about we this but thanks everyone if yeah. you're interested uh, purplecast.net is our uh, is our beautiful web page and then uh, the handle is at purplecast mm-hmm. so we'll see you next week next week it is Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs. And you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yerla Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVETSX. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page at per podcast. 